The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Using near infrared spectroscopy, which is a non invasive brain imaging technology, we may be able to better understand brain function in newborn babies, in toddlers, and indeed in adults. It's known for short as NIRS. It's a lightweight wearable cap that uses light to investigate the brain. And this approach may help to make developments in studies around autism, brain injuries, and more possible. Now, working on this technology is Professor of Medical Physics and Director of the Near Infrared Spectroscopy. Group at University College London, Claire Elwell. And Claire, by the way, is uh, coming to Maynooth University for the Dean Lecture, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that. That's happening on May the 3rd. Uh, but first of all, Claire, good morning. Good morning, Pat. It's good to speak with you. Now, let's talk about this uh, light, first of all. Uh, what sort of light is it? We cannot see this one. No, so it's near-infrared light. So if you imagine I was shining a red laser pointer at you, it's just beyond that red region of light. It's into the invisible, and it's actually a similar type of light to the light that comes, the invisible light that comes out of your TV remote control. Um, the really great thing about this light is that it passes through the skull. So the skull becomes transparent to this light, which means that we can shine it directly into the brain and we can look at the colour of the blood inside the brain. And we know that the colour of the blood changes depending on how much oxygen is in it. So you'll be familiar with the idea of if, you, if you're watching a horror movie and, and someone's throat gets slashed, you get this bright red blood coming out like tomato ketchup colour. Mm. And that's because it contains lots of oxygen. But as we start to use up the oxygen in the blood, it changes more to a bluey purple colour. So by shining this neuroinfrared light through the skull into the brain, we can get these wonderful exquisite maps of the different colours in the brain, which is telling us about the oxygen distribution mm. within the brain. And that in turn is telling us about how the brain is functioning. So that's how we get these really safe, yeah. non-invasive maps of brain function. Now, talk to me about and um, the normal uh, oxygen distribution in the brain. Can you say, well, this uh, particular adult or child, this is normality, so now we can compare this child, the normal child, with yeah. this other child where the colours do not follow the same pattern? Yeah, so I'll give you an example of a study that we did in four-month-old infants. And uh, some of these infants were at high risk for autism because they had a sibling with autism. And when we looked at presenting them with images of humans, we had an actress doing Itsy Bitsy Spider and the infants were watching this actress. In the infants that were developing typically, they would show this bright red change in blood. And we saw a good signal with our systems showing the oxygenation of the brain as they were looking and listening to that very social itsy bitsy spider human image. The infants that went on to be diagnosed with autism, even as young as four, men, four months, didn't show that change in oxygen response. Their response was very different. So they lacked an empathy with the performer. They were not showing, yeah, they were not showing the same response to a human social interaction as the other infants. And what's really groundbreaking about this work is that we were able to study these infants as young as four months of age. Now, autism is typically not diagnosed clinically until the second or third year of life, and it's diagnosed through clinical signs and symptoms. Uh, but if we can actually 
physically look inside these babies' brains in the first few months of life, then we can start to understand which regions of the brain are developing yeah. and how they may be developing differently depending on the infant. Yeah. Now, here, here's the issue then. So you know that uh, a child might be likely to develop autism based on uh, the colour of the blood as seen by this new technology. But can you intervene maybe to change the course of that development? Yeah, so that's a really important point. So the brain has great plasticity, okay, particularly in the very young brain. And so it's possible that there are some neuropsychological um, interventions. So by those, I mean behavioral interventions, um, various uh, interventions related to um, particular exposure to stimuli, which could be introduced earlier uh, as these young infants are developing. But crucially, because this uh, imaging that we're doing is very safe, we can track whether those interventions are being effective. Mm. So that's the stage of research that we're going to be moving on to next, is using the imaging to track different interventions. So so my background, as you said, is in medical physics. And by the way, happy International Medical Physics Week, which is this week. So my role is in developing the physics and engineering. And then we give these tools to the psychologists who are interested in studying autism and the interventions. Now, presumably these days with uh, digital technology and screens, you can come up with all sorts of uh, stimuli to offer uh, these very young children. Uh, I mean, it yeah. could be pictures of animals, could be pictures of humans, it could be pictures of forest fires, who knows? But you're trying to find a way into what makes the brain, if you like, come alive in these lurid colours. Yeah, so so we actually go one step further now than just showing them pictures. So we've created in Birkbeck College London the world's first toddler lab. Now, toddlers are like the black hole of brain imaging. They're very difficult. You can't put them in conventional scanners because they move around a lot. Um, they're, obviously, they will do and go where they like. So we have created this mobile wearable brain imaging. So they wear this little cap on their head and a little backpack on their backs, which contains the electronics of the imaging. It's completely safe. And we immerse them in a virtual reality world. So we've built this system where the toddlers can walk around in virtual reality system. And we have avatars on the screens and the toddlers start to engage with the avatars. And one of my students is looking at a project where they're understanding how toddlers develop empathy. So, for example, the toddlers will get to know the avatar on screen and maybe maybe the avatar will fall over. And we're looking to see the brain responses in the toddlers about how they respond to that situation. Are they starting to develop that empathy response? So what we're doing is combining lots of different technologies. And this is what's so wonderful about medical physics and biomedical engineering. We're taking all these innovations and we're completely changing the horizon for brain imaging uh, because we are looking at the problems and rather than saying we can't image in this situation we're saying how can we provide an engineering solution to make sure that we can do brain imaging and if you come along to my talk next week at the main university it's the dean's lecture in science and engineering as you've said i'll be expanding on all of these different innovations and many more examples of how we're using it now uh, this cap i mean kids at four months old don't you know the world is all new to them so putting on this cap is just another new experience and they'll probably um, you know, adapt to it very, very quickly. But you know that old adage in science that 
to measure is to destroy that in some way yeah. by trying to d- measure the size the weight the whatever the makeup of something you inevitably disturb it in in some way yeah. um what about the children there i suppose unwitting in this regard they they don't care about it one way or the other that they are being measured but with an adult say someone who's a, a stroke patient um would the fact that they know what's happening to them impact on the result you might get from this technology yeah, it's a really important point, and that's why we've worked very hard with the interface so that with the caps that we've developed are very lightweight. And as you say, the ideal situation is that the patients or whoever we're studying doesn't know they're having their brain imaged. We do a lot of work on adult intensive care because we're interested in looking at brain injury, um, and we deal with patients in different states of consciousness. But our primary concern is to make sure that we are making these measurements in a way that is obviously safe and comfortable for the patients, uh, but also in a way so that everything that we do is very naturalistic because we don't want the brain to be responding to the fact that we're measuring it. We just want the brain to be doing whatever it was doing and to have us measure that. Mm. So it's a, it's, that's another way of working really closely. So most of our work is hugely interdisciplinary. So we're bringing together our skills as engineers but we're very much working within the context of the measurement space. So if we're working on intensive care, we work very closely with the doctors. Uh, if we're working with infants, we work very closely with neurodevelopmental psychologists. So for us, it's very much understanding the context of where we're doing the measurements. Now, you talk about the plasticity of the brain. I'm just wondering, uh, in terms of the research on, on people who've got a brain injury, be it a stroke or from a traffic accident or whatever it might be, um, the same kind of technique you use with the children, um, given the plasticity of the brain, can you kind of get stuff to move from the damaged part of the brain to the other side of the brain? And, you know, using the imagery, be it virtual reality or whatever, see what's working and what's not. Yeah, so we are typically with what we call a traumatic brain injury. So the sort of event that might happen with, a, as you say, a road traffic accident. Um, there's an immediate injury where some of the brain tissue is just lost. It's just died. But there's another sort of shadow around that injury, which potentially could be saved. And so what we're looking in that situation is how viable that tissue is how much oxygen is being delivered to that tissue and whether there are protections that we can put in place to to basically save that tissue. So we're looking at a range of different what we call neuroprotective strategies. Now that might involve cooling the brain, just reducing the metabolism in the brain and giving it time to recover. So there are a range of different neuroprotection strategies that we could employ but crucially, as with the babies, we need to have a way of monitoring whether they're being effective, whether we are getting the oxygenation responses in those regions that we could potentially save. So, again, it's it's really creating new horizons and new ambitions for how we think about saving the brain uh, and actually getting the brain to either get back to where it was or to reach its t- the potential um, from a development point of view. Now, often in this programme, we talk about uh, STEM and trying to get uh, women and uh, girls involved in the study of STEM subjects. Your team is entirely female. Yeah, the team that I'm leading, uh, so the other project that I lead is looking at global health applications. So I'm funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And one of the great things about our imaging is that we can take it out into rural global health settings. And that team, actually with them here today, 
is entirely female. And for me, that's a real sea change from when I came in. I've been working in medical physics for 30 years. But the real truth is that we have a huge diversity in the problems that we're trying to solve globally. And to solve those problems, we need diverse teams. There's no doubt about that. And hopefully by talking, as I will do next week in my lecture, about the possibilities of science and engineering, it will inspire people to have more vision about what that type of career can offer them. The fact that it's taken me all over the world to these different settings, working with lots of different patient groups, constantly being at the cutting edge of engineering development, I'm hoping will be exciting and inspiring, particularly for the next generation of female scientists and engineers. Well, it's a pleasure having you on the show this morning, Claire. And uh, that uh, lecture, the title is Engineering Solutions to Transform How, When and Where We Image the Brain. It is at the Faculty of Science and Engineering. It's the Dean's Lecture uh, at Maynooth University. And uh, I'm sure it'll be a fascinating occasion. Claire Elwell, Professor of Medical Physics, Director of the Near Infrared Spectroscopy Group at University College London. Thank you very much for joining us on the programme. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.